Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. Hi, everyone. We have a very special guest on today. Gemma, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, just fabulous. <laughs> so, guys, Gemma, Gemma and I have a storied history. The most important thing you need to know is that she's the co-founder with her husband of No Reception Club, which... I say this when every guest comes on, but I don't want to explain it wrong. So you just tell us exactly what the getaway bag is and why everyone needs it. So the getaway bag is a travel diaper bag for parents who love traveling before they started on their parenting journey and still want to keep doing it even with a little one, because in our opinion, it actually gets better. It's different, but it's better. So the getaway bag is something my husband and I created um, once we had kids, and it is designed to make every part of getting from point A to point B easier. It's the most organized bag. It's packed with features like an emergency compartment for soiled clothing, and it is filled with shelves that allow you to organize and keep everything you're going to need for the flight or car ride. I love it. I actually think the compartment for soiled stuff was my absolute favorite because I've never traveled with my kids without some sort of gross situation. Even if it's just like a onesie that has spit up all over it, like it doesn't have to be a poop, but like even just like wet wipes, like gross, like Cheerio crusted wet wipes that having a special place that doesn't involve me like bringing a bunch of Ziploc bags Mm -hmm. is amazing. I love it. And it it. it really births out of diaper blowouts and vomit that made us think we need a place (laughs) to separate those special pieces of clothing that we can't just throw away and keep it from all the other belongings we've packed. Right. It's like when you, when you get pregnant, you, you envision the good and the bad things that will happen, but you don't think about, the time, not at all speaking from personal experience, when you get on a plane that's going across the country and your one-year-old projectile vomits all over you and the alleyway and everyone's gasping <laughs> and you're like, this is me for the next seven hours, everyone. <laughs> so, <maybe> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It didn't end after that. That's a really good point. Um, okay. So I will take you guys all back many years. So, you know, Gemma, like, it's no surprise that you're a founder of a successful company. Like, nothing shocks me less. Um, When I met Gemma, you guys, she was an intern at Theory, where I was working, and she was exceptional, amazing. And when I left Theory and went to Ralph Lauren, we were looking for an assistant on the team, and I was like, Gemma, come interview. And I will never forget, like, there was this other girl we were, like, strongly considering who, I mean, she had all the talking points, right? And I was just like, no, nope, this girl, this, she's not it. It's Gemma. I convinced my boss. And um, needless to say, it went well, because you took over my job when I left two years later. And that was, it was an interesting time for us, Very. would you say? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was like, my first experience, like, I don't want to say empowering another woman. That sounds really cheesy and not maybe, I, think that, I don't know. But I think you can say that. It was like my first time being like, wait, like just because somebody's like farther along in their career or like more senior doesn't mean they necessarily have it all right. And I will never forget because you were so good at your job and you were so eager to learn and to grow and to like contribute to our team. And so I went to my boss and was like, 
I want Gemma to start coming to these ex- I, won't, I don't want to like get into names and get myself canceled here, but I wanted you to attend these like more important things that I had to go to for my role. And I, I mean, the, re- the reaction I got was like, I had four heads. It was like, assistants don't go to that. And I was like, <laughs> no. okay, well, what if you have one who's really good at her job and is trying to learn? Like, I, I think they, they should go to it. And so what did we do? We started a book club. <laughs> a secret book club so that we could learn outside of what was allowed. <laughs> We literally weren't allowed to learn. So Gemma and I would go into like this weird conference room. Also, if you were like caught doing something that wasn't like sitting in your cubicle, you were. In- Remember when I tried to organize a trip to the Yankees game and I got in trouble for yes. it? Yes. You were not allowed to have fun. So the Yankees game was not allowed, um, nor was book club. So we would like go to this weird conference room and we had, I think we were so poor that we didn't even have hard copies of Lean In. We had... We literally had like photocopied paper that was the book Lean In that we would highlight our like important passages and like discuss we would it have together. To print it in secret because if we were caught printing non-work items in the photocopy, oh my, we'd also be in trouble for that. Yeah, so that was fun, but I think we did lean in. We learned a lot. We definitely learned a lot, and it showed me that. You know, it really only takes one person in, in especially a workplace, to make the whole experience. And despite the very funny but not always ideal climate of fashion, you know, you, Brittany, were proof that, like, no, there. if you have one person championing you, that can change everything. That can change your day-to-day. And, and certainly when you left, that was very challenging as well for me. <laughs> well, now she's gone. Totally. <laughs> I totally get it. I think it's so true. And I think it's so much easier to do those things yourself and you don't realize the impact they're having on other people. Like there have been so many people in my life. Molly Chen is the one who was our last guest that you probably heard her episode, Mm -hmm. but she was somebody that when I launched this business, she was so supportive, told so many people. And it's like, you know, for her, that probably didn't seem like that big of a deal, right? It was like, oh, no, I just think she's good at her job. So I just want people to know about it. But you don't realize how much it impacts the person on the other side um, when you're trying to grow and learn or build a business or whatever. Um, So tell me or everyone, I already know, tell everyone once you left Ralph Lauren, moved to San Francisco, like what was your kind of trajectory going from being being in the lean-in conference room to launching No Reception Club? So... Let's see how it all began after Ralph Lauren was, you know, I, I grew to really, really love New York fashion. I had spent five years there and it's sort of where I thought, you know, if you're going to work in fashion, you have to be in New York. And I came out of Canada. So it was something I had in a way like idolized for, for years and years and years and leaving New York was hard. But um, my husband, Daniel, and I were about to end nine years of long distance and finally agreed to be in the same city. And that city was San Francisco. And it ended up being the best decision I ever made. And I don't think I'll ever leave the West Coast now that I'm here, which is kind of ironic to say now. And what I ended up doing after is I spent the last four years or not the last, but the first four years in San Francisco overseeing the merchandising and buying department at a sustainable fashion brand called Amor Ver. And basically, mm-hmm. I was part of the team that grew this this little brand four times between when I started and left. 
and turned it into really a D2C company and expanded into a whole bunch of different product categories. And at the end of the day, that experience really showed me I could wear so many different hats. I liked it. And um, I really wanted to do something on my own as opposed to constantly working my ass off for someone else. <laughs> yep. And, yep. And it was sort of from there that I thought it kind of gave me the confidence to say like, hey, I can do this. I've now worked for 10 years for other people, learned everything I can. And um, this is a really succinct way of when Daniel and I went off and started No Reception Club. Amazing. Yeah, I totally get that experience where you, I mean, I think that's kind of what happened to me at Birchbox, honestly. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. It's like you have a really good experience where you realize once you're in a place <clears throat> like you haven't been before, where you're actually given an opportunity to add actual value yeah. and contribute and you want to do that, it's so exciting. But then it also gives you this mindset like, oh, wait, I can do more than like sit here and price these sweaters. <laughs> um, maybe I could do my own thing. <laughs> I could do my own thing. It's so so what made you guys like go from wanting to do your own thing and having a, a lot of experience and confidence that you could do it to specifically deciding on the getaway bag? This is a funny story that I love sharing. Um, so Daniel and I, you know, we talked, you know, as many couples talk, we had all, we had talked for years about, we could start a business and his whole background in e-commerce and finance really complemented my product merchandising background. But there were two things that stood in our way that finally um, dissipated and led to the start of No Reception Club. The first is that we didn't have an idea of what we were going to do. And we always loved Yeah, that feels important. That, that's a bit hard to really go running when you have no idea. We knew we wanted to do a fashion product. We knew we wanted to probably do some kind of bag, but we didn't have, you know, a white space identified for like, well, what, well, what do we need to create? We're not just trying to create some cool brand and add more stuff into the world, which I'm, you know, you and I both see there's a lot of stuff out there. We don't need extra. Yeah. But after becoming parents and taking several flights, including one pivotal one to Hawaii in January 2020 with our first child, we we had a horrible time on the flight. It was truly terrible in every way. We couldn't get the diaper <laughs> blowout. We couldn't find anything we wanted. I would say, hey, Daniel, go grab this in the bag. Go grab the lovey. He couldn't find it because the bag was giant. <laughs> cave of shit and um essentially though i remember a few days after that flight we were in a bar um in hawaii and we said i think we have the skills to actually fix this to fix this problem of how difficult it is to travel with your baby and we want to and we're gonna make a physical product that solves that and our backgrounds kind of enables to do it. And the second thing, which I kind of alluded to was, I think we always felt like, well, we don't have enough experience. We don't have enough experience. We don't want to just learn everything on the job. But by this point in 2020, we both had 10 years of experience and we're kind of coming into it a lot more confident. And um, it was honestly from that trip, you know, a few months later, I quit my job and 
was all in working on it. Daniel was working on it part-time. He has since now joined me in working on it full-time. And that was essentially the inception of No Reception Club. That's amazing. And it like touches on, I mean, you waited to find the product, right? You didn't just decide if we're going to start like a clothing company and like make t-shirts. Yeah. Like you waited to solve a problem, which is what every company should be doing. But also like you're, we're never going to be experts in everything. And at some point you just have to like jump in and, you know, lean into what you do know. And you learn along the way. We were just talking about this before we started recording. You learn as you go. You certainly do learn. <laughs> and I think what's been really cool about this whole experience, you know, when we think about like what is fun and what is hard about running your own business, something that always sticks out to me with the, I almost think it's the same, this fun, hard thing of you have to do so many things that you have zero experience in, like filing a trademark for your logo or doing your business taxes or figuring out how to ocean freight from Asia to the US when supply chain is being impacted by the global pandemic. And on the one sense, it's the hardest part of the job having to do things for me that are not related to product development. Those are harder because I don't right. have the professional experience. But what is so gratifying and eventually fun is realizing you can figure this stuff out. Like you can Google it, you can talk yeah. to people. There's so much more that you're capable of than necessarily what you've been doing in a previous job. You just need to be forced to learn it. Totally. And there's something to be said. I mean, for me personally, with all that stuff, it's like the initial learning how to do something is the most annoying. Oh. But then once you do, like even this, what we're this podcast recording right now, like me figuring out what platform I needed to have guests, it took me like months to like set aside the two hours I needed <laughs> to figure this shit out. But once you do it, it's like now it's easy, right? I, now I can do it in my sleep. But that's life. That's running your own business. Exactly. That's how I felt about learning how to make a real. You broke so up painful in the beginning. Way too old for this. <laughs> in the end, it's not that bad. Okay. So there were a bunch of questions that we have for you that came through. So I picked a, like a couple that were varied. Um, okay. They're, they're good ones too, I think. So Aaron said, what's the biggest packing mistake that parents make, especially when flying with little kids? So the biggest packing mistake that I think parents make is underpacking across the board for their snacks, their entertainment items, the changes of clothes, the diapers. And it's something that I did initially as well. It's this thinking that, you know, you think of the number of hours you have on the plane and you add that to the number of hours in the airport or, you know, the car ride and you pack exactly what you think you'll need. But that doesn't allow for the realities of life where you're going to have flight delays, especially in this travel climate. I think we are yeah. experienced the horrible flight delays since the return of travel is here. Um, you're going to have um, tantrums that you don't necessarily expect or blowouts that you don't expect. You just need to have, at least from my point of view, 1.5 to two times whatever you think. And that seriously is in all the categories. What are they going to eat? What are they going to play with? What are they going to change into if they soil their clothes? And how many times am I changing that diaper? And that's sort of what we tried to build into the getaway bag is not only the capacity to hold this, but like 
the compartments and organization needed so that you can pack all this easily. And even more importantly, this is a stereotype caveat, but <laughs> tell your partner exactly what shelf, what pocket, get in there and go get the binky or the burp cloth and you can right. fiddle shelf. And there's none of the, the, the extended seconds of delay that, you know, make um, a tough situation even tougher. And one other thing I do want to say with the problem yeah. with little kids is um, another very tough mistake um, is opening up the toys and books and stickers and whatnot that you packed too quickly. You really need to pay. Yes. Yes. Do not open that at the airport. <laughs> Wait till you're on the plane. At the airport, you need to be running around on the elevator yes. and... Do not touch anything in the bag except for the diapers when you're at the airport. It is so funny that you say that because I did like a travel, uh, my one of my sip and sleeps webinar in December. And that was like one of the biggest things I said is like, you have to be strategic about what you take out. I see parents do that all the time on flights. And I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> not you're an idiot, but like, you're really going to regret that. Like, I would never go up to somebody and be like, please don't give them the fruit snacks right now. No. You're going to need that so badly in five hours. Like, please don't do it. Exactly. Like they're fine right now. The hardest time truly is the plane because whatever you have when you get on, that's what you got. Like you got. Yep. And you make a really good point about um, how quickly they go through stuff, because I think even if you're very organized and logical, what your child needs from a snack perspective on like a normal day, mm -hmm. it's that's not the same as a day on an airplane. Like it's so different. Like even if they really only have like one snack bar, you're going to need 12. <laughs> Like you need so many. Eating. It's so true. Eating is such an activity to kill time on a plane. It really is. Um, I love those. Those are such helpful thoughts. Um, okay. Brielle said, I have an idea for a great product, but the manu manufacturing part really intimidates me. How did you guys manage that? So for this, you know, I'm going to talk through two uh, routes because I was lucky in that, you know, my background is in fashion. And so I know mm -hmm. people through my professional career in production and in product development. So it's not as much starting from scratch. Um, right. And that isn't the case for everyone. And having said that, you know, maybe even the majority of people who start a business um, don't have necessarily connections to um, factories and whatnot. And what I would say is it's a really good idea to use your network to get connected to people in the industry that you're trying to break into. So mm -hmm. even if you have a friend who let's pretend you want to get into baby clothing, you have a friend who knows someone who works in marketing at the baby clothing place, like get connected. And ultimately you're trying to be connected to someone who works in production at that baby clothing place. Right. The way getting introductions to factories from someone already in the industry, I think is the most efficient way to do it. And mm -hmm. um, there is a, another way, which I have heard many founders talk about where they just go on the internet and call up factories and show up at factory doors. And I would just say that while this can work, this is so inefficient and you have just no way of really knowing. There's not a Yelp for factories that is right used. So you have to get 
you have to get connected to someone who has insider knowledge of your industry, however way possible, and let them intro you to the factories. It's so true. And like, no matter, no matter how far away from the industry you think you are, you, you can find someone, you don't need to find the, like you said, you don't need to find the production person. You find your friend from college who you remember, you said her roommate works in fashion and she's like, Oh yeah, yeah. She's at DVF. And it's like, could you just introduce me to her? Because she might not know, but she might be like, Oh, I actually know someone who works for Maisonette in PR. Like, I'll just tell you her, give her 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 number. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so true. And I think the other, I mean, besides for sure the factory thing, it's like, you just want them to be like, no, no, no. At GFA, they are really slow. Like it's good quality stuff, but it's going to take you three times longer than you think, right? They have the inside stuff. And then you also at that point have somebody who like deeply understands a part of the business you don't understand, who can also give you like support and help and, Mm -hmm. you know, like be a, be a sounding board. So that's great advice. Love it. Okay. Amanda, last question. She said, I'm flying across, I'm flying cross country with two under two alone in all caps next week. SOS. What do I do to make it not horrible? Love you, Amanda. Um, (laughs) I love this question so much. Okay. Because that, that is, that is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people hearing that question are just cringing for Amanda, but it's going to be okay. (laughs) And so many people do this. And um, since starting the reception club, I have met so many solo parent travels travelers who do it so know that it's possible you're not the only one um i have pretty much five different points for amanda in thinking about this as i also have a toddler and um a baby the first is prepare your toddler as much as possible for what to expect on the flight however you do this whether you're just telling them like this is going to be the schedule you know for the few days leading up to the flight find them a book about it this will go a long way because toddlers love we all know toddlers love schedules so do babies and they love to be able to see what they expect to happen actually happen like it's that totally you said i'm gonna see the security section where we put our things in a machine just like you said like that will go a long way um it's so true like their minds are blown if you're like there is going to be like the security we've talked the scanner then they're like <gasps> the scanner and it like blows their mind that the thing you told them is actually occurring yeah, it's great such a good point <laughs> genius um the second thing as we touched on pack 1.5 to two times the snacks and toys you think you need for each kid probably for the toddler it's going to be more for them and for the baby, it's probably more around food and changes of clothes. Um, the third thing, especially as a solo traveler, stay streamlined. Check in whatever you can. So when you're actually going through the airport, you're just worried about a few items. I would say probably your stroller, which you can gate check, um, mm-hmm. the car seat, your backpack, hopefully it's a getaway bag, and your kids. Right. That's it. You don't want to be having like a bunch of little bags, you know, totally toddler little bag to carry that you're just going to lose insecurity. Don't have a purse, like fewest number of items to track as possible. Uh, That is such a good point. I cannot tell you how often I hear parents leaving stuff. I have a friend right now who is going to Ojai and she came to my house in the mm -hmm. rental car before they drove to borrow because they forgot their Bjorn baby carrier. Oh, no. 
in the airport, like, which I felt terrible for them. But like that stuff happens all the time because you're not used to traveling with 15 items in the airport. So your adult brain can't comprehend you need seven times as many things to track as you did a year ago. It's yeah. like overwhelming. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's a good segue. My, my fourth tip is if this is um, something that you can physically do, put the baby in the carrier, at least as you're traversing through the airport. Yes. It just makes it easier. You have your one hand for your whatever bag you might have. You are doing that. Your other hand is for your toddler. Like just keep that baby in the carrier, walk through security in the carrier. And when you need to really calm down um, your baby on the flight, you know, you can stick them in the carrier, walk up and down the aisles, hang out near yep. the bathrooms until you're so folded. True. It's fine. Carrier, carrier all the way. Carrier. And my last tip, especially as a solo traveler, is really try to make friends with those immediately around you on the plane. Mm-hmm. People are going to, you know, in reality, feel sorry for you. You're alone on the plane with two little ones. Um, and you'll want to do that, especially so, um, to be honest, when you need to go change a diaper, you can leave your toddler there. Yep. And your toddler isn't going to be screaming like, I need to come. There's just no space for all of you in there. Like, so really try to make friends on the plane. Usually it's pretty easy. You'll find one kind soul, if not more. So true. Keep an eye on on your little one. That is very good advice. And I find that even if you're next to like a really grumpy person, mm-hmm. look for an older woman, yeah. like a 50-year-old woman, empty nester, or the flight attendants. Usually the flight attendants are pretty yes. compassionate and nice, especially when you're by yourself. Completely. Like they get it. They're used to seeing this stuff and they will come by with an empty water bottle for your toddler to slam into the seat and you know, whatever. So <laughs> I always find the best case scenario is when you're next to other kids and parents yes. and like, they're just there to help you. They'll share toys with you. They'll commiserate totally. with you. You'll all laugh together at, you know, the vomit in your hair. It's I almost think in those cases, like if you're by yourself, I hadn't thought of this before, but I almost feel like it's better to pick a seat near the back. Mm-hmm. Cause like otherwise, right. You're, you're always thinking like you want to be as close to the front as possible, but for whatever reason, there always seem to be more kids in the back. Because and it's like, back there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they just shove them all back there. Yeah. But it's true. And you'll feel less, you know, if somebody's already sitting next to the bathroom, like you're not making it that much worse by giving them a toddler next to them. Can- I'd actually rather be next to a baby than next to the bathroom, frankly. So you can be both. <laughs> you can be both. You can have the dream flight. Um, okay. Those are really good tips. Um, okay. Very quickly. Yes. I want to talk because... You also, besides being my friend, co-worker, all the things, were a, a family that took the baby sleeping schedule course. Yeah. So for you guys, because your oldest, things were pretty, I remember, were pretty smooth for you. It like, wasn't a big deal. And then when you had Finn, you were like, SOS, red flag, yeah. um, I'm buying your course. So what was the catalyst for you to make that decision? Because you were an experienced mom who you know, had dealt with this stuff before. So, you know, I walked into having a second child, very cocky, very cocky. I was my first and, and, and so much, you know, even though I had not, um, necessarily, you know, bought your course for my older one, Emmett, I was very much living by your principles. I was on schedule. I was putting him on a schedule within a week. I was like, you are going to get to eating every three hours. You're ch- you're fine. We're doing this. I know Brittany said we could do it we're doing. So I was very much following the principles of um, your course and your methods with Emmett. And um, 
and it was fine. He was sleeping by 12 weeks. We had great naps. All was good. Then comes Finn and um, wow, babies are different. And having <laughs> listened to Brittany's, Brittany's podcast about, you know, I know you did something about how siblings can be different and, you know, totally. let's not shame the second one. <laughs> it's, more it's humbling. It's humbling when you go into it cocky and there and the second one is a little, a little different. Doing all the things. And so what ultimately brought me to text you, I need help um, in all cap <laughs> and with some other words in there too. And get the course was two things. One was the napping was not going well. There was, it's like he wouldn't listen to the schedule and it seemed like my nanny and I were putting him down. He'd cry. We'd pick him up. We'd put him down. We were getting into this vicious cycle where it felt almost futile. Um, and we would all collectively dread naps because we, we would generally think he wouldn't take them. And, and then the second thing that was really tough was Although he was technically sleeping through the night, I say with quotation marks, it was a night that did not correspond to my sleep. And he was sleeping essentially <laughs> from something like 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. But as every parent knows, nobody is sleeping at 9 p.m. We're sleeping at midnight. We're getting our work done. <laughs> down. By the time we go down at midnight. No, Gemma, that's like our like psycho New Yorker mentality. I thought that too. And then I have clients who were like, I go to bed at 930. And I'm like, really? That must be cool. What's that life? Anyway, that's not a life I know. Exactly. <laughs> but yes. So those, both, both the trouble with the night sleep and the, um, the naps. Yeah. Signal. Yes. And that's great. And you took it. You did great. I remember we had our support call and things were coming along. What was like, if anything, because I know you kind of know my shtick and all that stuff, but was there anything that you were surprised how well it worked or maybe something you learned in it that you yeah. didn't think would be included that you're like, oh, this is good. So one thing, well, there are two things, but one thing was, you know, as it related to the night sleep and getting him to wake up at a human hour, I really felt like, you know, watching all your videos and I, I definitely, um, focusing on the ones, you know, more around his age. Um, it kind of, it gave me like the permission and the confidence to, to say that, well, first I realized from talking to you and the course, I was picking him up too soon. That was wrong. And second, I realized my schedule was not right. It was not matching the one in the course. And it took me weeks to finally say, I will try her schedule because I'm so, so sure that whatever worked for Emmett was going to work for Finley. And, you know, these little tweaks in um, moving up his bedtime, which to me was so counterintuitive. How could making him sleep early result in him waking up later? And it did. And it 100% did. And like tweaking his meal time, his final meal to match your schedule, it worked. It just worked. And I think maybe my biggest surprise was how these tweaks that it's not necessarily a world away from what I was doing, but it was so meaningful and it was so counterintuitive. And thank God for the schedule, which I have like printed and it's like the screensaver on my phone. Um. And the second thing was your advice um, on the napping, which was that 
we were getting into a cycle where he had now realized if he cried for X number of minutes, we someone would run in there and scoop him up. It was it was like we were playing some sort of sick game with him and we were in this endless cycle of crying, pick up, crying, pick up. Yes. And listening to your advice on um not only the schedule, but on, you know, allowing him sufficient time to actually put himself to sleep for the nap worked within days. You know, that one worked even faster than the night sleep because I was fighting off your schedule so hard until now (laughs) now I'm like, oh my gosh, why? I, I, that was my own doing. So those were the biggest changes that I got from the course and from working with you. And I don't want to jinx it, but we're fine. We're in a good place. <laughs> You're not going to jinx it. We're not jinxing it. That's great. We're happy. I know. It is It is sometimes the the small tweaks that you don't realize how much they matter, right? That's why I always, that's why I don't do these like one-off calls with people because I'm like, nope, you have to see all of it. Yes. And you have to make all of the little changes because you don't know which of those little things is actually the thing that has been causing XYZ to happen, you know? Completely. Um, Completely. It's like you need the full context of everything. And even though I was um, in my mind thinking like, oh, I know, because I have one kid. I know. I now realize like you don't know anything. Every kid is just their own self. They come out the way they come out. And you should never be cocky again, (laughs) mother of. Oh, it it makes you not be cocky again. Trust me. I've never been less. I've never been more cocky than having my second. Never been less cocky when I had my third. Because I was like, (laughs) who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? I may have a colicky baby. Who She wasn't, thank God, but you just never know. Exactly. Um, this has been amazing. Okay, so you guys, uh, Gemma has very generously offered you all a discount on the amazing getaway bag. So if you go to noreceptionclub.com and use code snooze button, you can get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. So and the getaway, getaway bag is over $100. So just any getaway bag, $20 off at noreceptionclub.com. And if you have trouble spelling No Reception Club, which I probably do, um, it's in the show notes. So go look right now and you'll see it. Gemma, thank you so much for being on. This was amazing. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it. So make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to britneysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at britneysheehansleep.